0: Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Lamentations 4, Lamentations 4, Lamentations 4, Um, before we pray here, I don't know if you know Ken Hines in the back there, um, my brother, and uh, there you go, standing there for us, amen, and so, you know, Ken had some heart issues last week, And uh, even unresponsive, they had to bring him back to life. And so um, it was not his time. And uh, God blessed him and his family with more time and more life. And so we are a church family who loves one another and prays for one another. We take that seriously. And so before we take take hold of the scriptures today and continue to teach and baptize, we're going to thank God for the life and the blessings and the mercy and grace that he poured onto my brother here. And I was talking to him just last night. Greg and I went to go see him. And he goes, Hunter, I'm going to try to make it to church. And I said, hey, brother, if anybody has an excuse, right? Like you were dead last week. So um, no judgment, okay? But if you ever have a long week and you look at your spouse and go, hey, just, I don't know. I need to rest. Think about this Sunday, okay? So Ken wasn't alive and he's here. He said, I would rather be nowhere else than this church. And we praise Jesus for it. And so let's bow our heads, thank God for the mercy he showed, and jump into our scripture. Lord, we thank you for today. What a phenomenal start. As I see the kids run the halls and I see every teacher excited to teach and the the fellowship and the bread broken and all of those things, the visitors that are coming in, the waters that are ready, the scripture that is turned to, the music that is saying, Lord, we thank you. Your church is a gift. It is a gift. Life is hard. Life is tiring. Life is burdensome. The church is a gift, and we thank you for it. We thank you for our brother's life. We thank you for the mercy and the grace that you poured into him. There are a million sad stories that are going different directions today. Still, your goodness is shown, but we thank you for our brother being here with us today, still singing another week. In your precious name, we all say in harmony, amen. Amen. now uh, i usually say to you guys i want your bibles open and this week is no different but i often try to say hey we're not going to do a ton of flipping just find yourselves here in this space and um, get comfortable for the ride right well we have a handful of flipping early on and then we're going to camp out in lamentations four But it's important that you see the magnitude that builds just in these six words, okay? So if you have not been here with us or you have been here with us, but we have been teaching through baptism and salvation, remember where we're at. As Ryan said, three weeks in Lamentations 3. What Ryan said and read to us this morning, um, I've preached that message for three straight weeks. Why? For one, God has blessed real, natural, beautiful revival into this church. Amen? And so we have had five services, including Wednesday nights, five services in the last four weeks of baptisms, and this week continues to to flow in here. I thought I was draining the water, and I got a phone call to fill it back up, and there's nothing that we would rather do than be up here filling up that water. So continue to call on us. But remember where we are. Lamentations is the sequel to Jeremiah Lamentations is the aftermath of wreckage. It is what happens when people hear to repent, to follow God, to abandon their sin and do not. Jeremiah is 52 chapters of him walking in. God is coming. God is not pleased. This will not be good for you. And then Lamentations is the aftermath of people if their sin not turning away from it. Three weeks of the pit. Ryan read read to us three weeks of the pit of raising our arms, calling out to the Father in the midst of darkness, in the midst of sin, in the midst of devastation, and God lifting us up. We spent three weeks there. I want you to remember where we were as a church. Look at the first line, not even the first verse. I love it. How the gold has become dim. That is the sermon. How the gold has become dim. I got a handful of pages of notes, but the first page is going to take the longest as we unpack what that means, the heaviness that comes to it, highlight it. There is a lot of backstory to one sentence, six words, how the gold has become dim. Go to First Kings. For you guys that aren't used to opening your Bible and and moving with us, man, I really want you to see it. It's a lot of verses, but it's such a rich story that gives a huge amount of light to how the gold has become dim. Please do that for me. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to take our time with this first page here of notes of, of really seeing the backstory that leads to Lamentations 4, Okay. So take your time to get there. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 1. Now Solomon, and Solomon the son of David, the same Solomon that prays for wisdom outside of Christ, is the richest, wisest man to ever walk the earth, the writer of Ecclesiastes, he... Assembled the elders. He assembled, he gathered together the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel to King Solomon in Jerusalem. So he gathered a lot of prestigious people that they might bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the city of David, highlight this in your mind, which is Zion now just flip a page or so to first kings chapter 8 Verse 62, I want you to see this. This is the champagne bottle cracked on the ship, the red ribbon cut. This is the dedication of the temple, the epicenter of worship in the entire world. The wisest and richest man comes to dedicate this place of the people of Israel coming to worship. Just listen to the backstory. Verse 62, then the king's, and all of Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. And Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings. Look at what he gave. Which he offered to the Lord 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. That's the temple. And on the same day, the king concentrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord, Remember that terminology, house of the Lord, okay? For there he offered burnt offerings, grain offerings, and the fat of the peace offerings, because the bronze altar that was before the Lord, it was too small to receive the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat of the peace offerings. Stay with me, okay? At that time, Solomon held a feast, and all of Israel with him and a great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God. Seven days and seven more days, 14 days together. And on the eighth day, he sent the people away and they blessed the king and they went to their tents joyful and glad of heart for all the good the Lord had done for his servant David and for Israel, his people. What we see here in 1 Kings is that Solomon dedicates the temple in the same place, the same location that Jeremiah is in Lamentations where he is looking at the destruction of the epicenter of the place they thought would never fall. No one could ever imagine such a place, such a people, such a magnitude and momentum be laid to waste. Look at 1 Kings, same page probably, same chapter, but I just want to continue to build on the moment. Look at verse 54. Same chapter, 1 Kings chapter 8, just a few verses back. It says in 54, And so it was when Solomon had finished praying all this prayer and the supplication to the Lord that he arose from before the altar of the Lord, from kneeling on his knees. This is the king with with his hands spread to heaven, and he stood and blessed all of the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, Blessed be the Lord, genuine worship church, who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he had promised. There he has not failed one word of his good promise, which he promised to his servant Moses. May the Lord of our gods be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave nor forsake us. Remember Lamentations, same place, that he may incline our hearts to himself to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, which he commanded our fathers. What we see in First Kings, in this building of the temple, and the king and all the elders coming, Israel together, hands up, worshiping God at the epicenter of where you come to worship. People would travel miles and days and weeks to get here. This is a God-first foundation. 1 Kings, approximately 967 years, 1,000 years B.C. before Christ. First Kings. Fast forward to Jeremiah, about 650 years before Christ. 300 years before all of Israel coming together to worship with the king and the elders of God who created earth. To Jeremiah saying, stop playing church. Look at Jeremiah. Don't give up on me. Go to Jeremiah. We just saw the dedication. We had the ribbon cutting. We had all of the calves. We had all of the sacrifices. We had all of the worship. This was worship at its finest. Fast forward 300 years. Look at Jeremiah 7. Look at Jeremiah 7. I believe this is fascinating and gives so much heart and light to what God is doing in one verse, in one sentence. I want you to see it, church, as it applies to our life as well this morning. Look at the first 11 verses. The word that came to Jeremiah from the who? Lord. Lord. This wasn't his buddy. This wasn't his Sunday school teacher. This wasn't a bad dream that he had. It said, God told him, saying this, stand at the gate of the Lord's house. Now take a second. We're not in a rush. This is the Lord's house that we still saw in 1 Kings where God himself, this is the greatest place to worship. Like, this is where we have all come together. This is the Lord's house. Now, fast forward 350 years. God himself says to Jeremiah, go to the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say this. Hear the word of the Lord. God tells Jeremiah to tell him. Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah, who enter in these gates to worship the Lord. Thus saying the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, emanate your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place safely, right, church? Do not trust in these lying words that you hear saying. I like this, I love it. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. I want you to think of someone coming at the front of this church, and we show up every Sunday in our khakis and collared shirt with our little kids dressed up, and someone standing out there, and as you walk in with your pretty family, them going, stop this fake, disingenuine worship. That's what he tells Jeremiah. Jeremiah. This is not real. This is not genuine. You guys are living backward, sinful life, Monday through Saturday. Don't show up on Sunday like it's all good. That's what he tells them. The same place that we just read in 1 Kings. For if you thoroughly amend your ways, repent and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppose or oppress the stranger and the fatherless and the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place or walk other gods to your hurt, or I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave your fathers forever and ever, behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit you. Will you steal? Will you murder? Will you commit adultery? Will you swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know? And then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we are delivered to do all of these abominations. Has this house which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes. Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. How life can change so quickly. How fast we can fall from such a high place. How the gold has become dim. Go to Lamentations 4. What we see in this moment, church, and I'm telling you, if you don't know the Bible well and you think every book is its own movie and they're not connected, it is beautiful. See the backstory of when you read Lamentations 4 and it says how the gold has become dim, there is a lot of weight that comes with that one sentence. Do you see it? Man, they built the church up. Think of Eastview. We're hoping to build a sanctuary. Think about day one. Just tears coming down your eyes. Can you imagine church, praise team, you guys singing on that new stage for the first time? Can you imagine that sermon for the first week? Can you imagine Joellen and Brad and Amber and Tony and Trisha, the ones that have been here for a long time, seeing a new building come up and going, man, what has God done here? Just to fast forward 100 years and there's chains on the door. And going, man, I remember when this place was filled with the Spirit, how the gold has become dim. This is the same place and time the same location, all of Israel comes together, praise the Lord. Fast forward and the same Lord goes, hey, you go to those doors and tell those people to stop playing church. See it? How the gold has become dim. Somewhere between Solomon and Jeremiah the people stopped following God's commands and it changed everything. Their worship became disingenuine. I told you guys to, to look at that in Jeremiah. He goes, don't come in here going, oh man, this is the house of the Lord. This is the house of the Lord. This is the house of the Lord. He goes, man, I, I hear your songs and I see the things that you're doing and they're worthless. They began idolizing the world. They gave their hearts to other lovers. And then like a slow drip, like a slow drip that I don't even know if they recognized, sin snowballed into future generations, right? We saw the same story in Nahum and Micah where someone literally, you see this all throughout history, someone cracks the door. Someone cracks the door just an inch And the next generation pushes it open. And then the next generation comes and they take that joker right off the hinges, right? Usually you don't see change come with just, hey, some guy came in and they were raised in the good Lord of the Jesus and and they come in and they push it out and they change their future generations for their kids and their great grandkids. That's not what you usually see. It's usually just small little changes what we believe is important and how we view scripture and our intimacy with Jesus is just small changes that lead to big ones. How the gold has become dim. Let's keep going. How changed the fine gold. The stones of the sanctuary are scattered and at the head of every street. The precious stones of Zion, do you remember I told you to hang on that? When it's talk about the ark of the covenant in 1 Kings that this was the space that we were coming it says the precious sons of Zion valuable as fine gold how they are regarded as clay pots the work of the hands of the potter even the jackals present their breast to nurse their young but the daughter of my people is cruel like ostriches in the wilderness the tongue of the infant cleans to the roof of its mouth for thirst. And the young children ask for bread, but no one breaks it for them. Those who ate delicacies are desolate in the streets, and those who were brought up in scarlet embrace ash heaps. Get your highlighter out and highlight verse 5. Jeremiah says, For those who who had fine gold, right? For those who ate delicacies are desolate in the streets now, right? Those who were brought up in scarlet, which is, a, which is a, symbolism or a symbolism of great wealth, now they embrace ash heaps. When we got to New York um, this year, we, we were able one night to go visit the 9-11 Museum. And at the 9-11 Museum, if you've ever been there before, it's an amazing, very... Um, humbling museum with all the pictures that they have around of what would it have been like in that moment when those planes hit the two buildings. And as I read Jeremiah, especially four, especially this chapter, um, I almost have this picture of that's what it would have been like. I remember for you guys that went with us, you remember all of those huge pictures of the people, this doesn't even do it justice, of the individuals just covered in white and they were just roaming the streets like everything that they knew and everything that they had and everything they felt was stable just came crashing down and they just looked like people who were wandering as I read Lamentations 4 in my mind, I just pictured this moment. It literally says in verse 6 that the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sins of Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, which was overthrown in a moment with no hand to help her. Biblically, outside of what happened in the flood in Genesis, there is no greater example and illustration of God's judgment coming down on people than what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. Literally, historically today, you can go to this location and still smell and see the ash. And what does the Bible say about lamentations? He says, listen, what you saw in Sodom and Gomorrah, that is not comparable to what I did here. That is the type of judgment that I poured onto these people. At least in Sodom and Gomorrah, they knew who they were. And they were going to die of their sin, and they were not going to see glory, but they didn't cover it up with how they thought they were righteous. He says, you guys keep coming into the church, singing the same songs, not knowing who I am or following my commands. Verse 7 and 8, hear them. Her Nazarites were brighter than snow and whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in body than rubies, like sapphire in their appearance. You see the picture that he's painting? But now, but now their appearance is blacker than suit. They go unrecognizable in the streets. The same people who were up there, right? Their skin clings to their bones. It has become dry as wood. As their life changed, so did their appearance. I remember um, speaking and counseling with a young woman who was a beautiful woman, had a beautiful personality, had a great spirit about her, loved many people, but she got hooked up with the wrong individuals and the wrong habits and it snowballed into heavy drugs. And if you know anything about heavy drugs, it doesn't just do things for your spiritual life. It doesn't even just set you back emotionally or or maturely, but it does something physically to you. And so she had, she lost teeth and she lost hair and it aged her very quickly. And I started doing counseling with her in the midst of her becoming clean. And she had been off drugs for four or five months and I'll never forget her sitting in my office and saying, hey Hunter, what you see right now in me physically, like in the moments of my drug use and in the moments of this happening to me, man, I didn't even recognize it. Like I know you see and it's obvious to you. You see the dental problems and you see the facial issues and you see what it's done to my body and all of the weight that was lost, right? He's man, I didn't even recognize it. I didn't even see it what an eye-opening picture of the reality of what unrepentant sin does in your life. When we invite, hang on it, when we invite sin, and when we sin without repentance, more is being damaged than you realize, right? It's not like, oh, obviously, man, my feet are on fire. I need to put these out. Our sin, unchecked, unrepentant of, invited into our life, flows into our family. You ever seen this? This is a lot of what we see in Lamentations 4, in which we're going to unravel. It's not just about you, but for you guys that are married and you've chosen to have children, man, your, your life is not your own anymore. Your decisions and what you deem is most important and how you live life and your obedience to Christ, it ain't just about you. But your life, if you want to accept it or not, will flow God's goodness or the destruction of sin into the people around you, right? And so you honor, Hunter, physically I still feel good. No, man, you are bringing more damage to your life than you realize It flows into your purpose. For you guys that have been in sinful spaces, I talk to a lot of church folks that feel this way. I'll have someone, for example, like my brother Kennedy here, for example... Kennedy, he would be like, man, there was a moment where I was on fire and I was teaching, I was singing, I was helping, I was doing all of these things. God was using me in such a phenomenal way within the church. But then I invited sin in my life. I drifted from the Lord. And in that, my purpose diminished. You ever seen that? brother? It's hard to sing. It is hard to sing when you're not right with the Lord. It's hard to be excited about the church when you're not right with the Lord. It is hard to pray with your children when you're not right with the Lord. So guys, you don't see the teeth that you're losing, but I do. And I'll see people, they'll be like ghosts. They'll like float in and out. I'll see you the first week of August, and I won't see you again to the end of August, and you just kind of float in just thinking, man, I just need to be here enough to make sure I don't feel like I'm a heathen, right? But man, we know that your heart is not in this, and at times, it's because there's not unchecked sin, or there is unchecked sin in your life that you've invited, invited to stay. And all of a sudden, you're unrecognizable. You're unrecognizable. I don't recognize my family anymore. Is that any of your story? Is that any of your story where you're, your marriage and your kids and your family, your man, we were close to the Lord and we were obeying in his commands and we were connected to the church and we were growing, but sin came into our life. We flipped our priorities. We made things that are idols, number one, and all of a sudden my family does not look the same. My marriage does not look the same. My life does not look the same. Verse 9. Those slain by the sword are better off. You hear that? Those slain by the sword are better off. than who? Than those die of hunger in these streets. For these pine away stricken for the lack of the fruits of the field... The hand of the compassionate women have cooked their own children. They have become food for them. In the destruction of the daughter of my people, the Lord has fulfilled his fury and has poured out his fierce anger. He kindled a fire in Zion and it has devoured its foundations. Do you remember that? What did I tell you? God first type foundation. What does it say? He kindled a fire in Zion and it has devoured its foundations. The kings of the earth and all of its inhabitants of the world would not have believed. Highlight like that. Man, if you think your marriage is good enough without Jesus, because man, you just make each other smile and your kid will never stop respecting you because y'all are best friends together and the your life Fulfilling, trying to run after prosperity and riches and God is an aftermath thought. Look at what it says. They would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. And just take a second. Take a second. Your marriage is not strong enough to withstand the enemy without Jesus, your family, your mind, your heart, your life is not strong enough to withstand and to meet what you desire for it without Jesus. I want to read it again for those who are prideful and think that, that it is The kings of the earth, not the good old folks from Huntington. The kings of of the earth, and all of the inhabitants of the world, all of the people that rest under the umbrella, they would not have believed it. They would not have believed it, that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem, the same gates that we read in 1 Kings where all the world comes together and go, man, this is revival, there's no way the enemy could ever approach this family, right? It says here that they never would have believed that we are not talking about people losing salvation because we don't teach or believe that. We are talking about the saved dying in punishment to their sin and them pouring that devastation and destruction into future generations. Look at verse 13. Because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priest, who shed in her midst the blood of the just. This means something. We're going to talk about it. They wandered blind in the streets. They have defiled themselves with blood so that no one would touch their garments. They cried out to them, go away, unclean. Go away, go away. Do not touch us. When they fled and wandered, those among the nation said, they shall no longer dwell here. The face of the Lord scattered them. He no longer regards them. The people do not respect the priest nor show favor to the elders. Still, our eyes failed us, watching vainly for our help and our watching he watched for the nation that could not save us. Now, I read to you in Jeremiah, what was Jeremiah supposed to say to the people? He says, you believe in a word that is a lie. Do you remember that? You believe lying words. Do you remember that being spoken three times in the verse that I told you? In the book of Jeremiah, it is very clear of why did God deem what was happening in jerusalem near this spot in the temple why did he deem this more important than what even happened in sodom and gomorrah very clear which he identifies many times in that book at the top of the list it was the spiritual failure of biblical leadership I've told you many times, if if you have been here, you have heard it, in life, when it comes to business, when it comes to family, when it comes to the school, when it comes to the church, in life, everything good and bad trickles down. Everything trickles down and the spiritual leaders during this time at the temple failed the people. They led them astray and the people suffered. There is great responsibility and opportunity in leadership, but there are also those who lead others into suffering. If you know anything about the Old Testament, this is a pattern that we see all throughout the history of Israel. I want you to see this, okay? I want you just to give you an example of how you can apply this even to your family. Look at verse 4 again. When we read this I'm sure you thought it was just an Old Testament illustration that you had no clue what it was talking about. I want to show you. Look at verse 4 in chapter 4. For my moms and dads, hear me. What does it say? The tongue of the infant, the child, right? The one who needs help, the one who needs guidance, the one who needs direction, the one who lives to follow mom and dad, right? For nourishment. The tongue of the infant clings to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The young child, child asked for bread, but there's no one to break it off for them. Now look at verse 10. The hands of the compassionate women, what have they done to their children? They've cooked their own children. They became food for them in the destruction of the daughter of my people. No matter if it is a child, no matter if it is an adult, an employee, a church member, when we choose to follow man, which at times is good, we, we respect and follow our parents. We abide by the spiritual authority in pastors and leaders and people who love us in our life, to guide, the shepherds. But when we follow anyone, we are at risk of suffering. Men, hear me. Men, we have an amazing opportunity to guide our loved ones closer to the Lord one thing that I will say and I know that there are circumstances and there are examples that that buck my example and I understand that but what I have seen in my life and most there are a lot of strong-willed brilliant phenomenally created gifted women out there who can make it on their own and God bless you but what I have seen in my life and most of yours Women, children, they want to follow. They won't, and they might not admit it, and they might have been let down, and they might be resentful from their past. I understand your example doesn't fit my mold. But for the people that I've spoke to, they want to follow and they want to follow a man, a husband, a father who follows himself, the Lord, and who teaches him and leads him to a greater understanding and relationship with the only one who can save and help. But what I've also seen, I've seen some of those phenomenal, gifted, brilliant women follow husbands and follow fathers into the pit. I have seen just as many of those examples as I've seen to glory land. So men, the children always suffer, right? The children always suffer. This is the example that you're seeing in Lamentations 4. Who does Jeremiah, from the word of God, who does he go after? Now listen, these are big boys and big girls. They got a responsibility. We're not going to be able to go to heaven and go, hey, listen, you know, my dad wasn't very good. We're not going to be able to give that excuse. But who does he go after? He goes after the leaders. So even biblically and spiritually, listen, the responsibility that Chad and Ashley, Terry in the nursery... David, as he leads us in singing, Brad, as he's a deacon, Kennedy, as he's a pastor, me, as I speak, the responsibility in that is I'm going to have to give an account for the people who followed. Men, the people that God has given you under your roof, are you leading them to a closer relationship with their creator? The last verses in this chapter, it says this in 18. They tracked our steps so that we could not walk in the streets. An end, our end was near. Our days were over for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles of the heavens. They they pursued us, on us, the mountains and lay in us, wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the anointed of the Lord was caught in their pits. Of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, whom you dwell in the land of us, The cup shall also pass over to you, and you shall become drunk and make yourself naked. Last verse of this chapter. The punishment of your iniquity is accomplished. O oh, daughter of Zion, you remember? The same space in verse King where it all created on a godly foundation. He will no longer send you into captivity. He will punish your iniquity, O oh, O oh, daughter of Edom. He will uncover your sins." You know, as we close here, it was funny, I son my wife. Lamentations is four is hard. Lamentations four starts dark and it ends dark. There's not a moment where he goes, you know what? Hey, listen. However, for you guys that are trying and give 10%, I got good news for you. That's not the hidden verse that we haven't unpacked yet. And so in our church, we spent three weeks in Lamentations 3. And there's a few reasons. One, it is the gospel, and it is beautiful, and it lines up perfectly with all of the salvation that we were experiencing, the revival, the baptism. So we taught on what it means to be saved. We taught on what it means to be baptized. But there's another reason I didn't jump into this next chapter because, man, it is heavy. It is dark. So I had all of these families and all these visitors and the the waters being ready and lamentations was just a hard reality to swallow, right? Right? Hear me though, church. Chapter 4 is the reality of what the cave and the pit looks like from Lamentations 3 of not lifting up your hands. It's the other side of the same coin. What we see in Lamentations 3, Jeremiah says, lift up your hands, repent of your sins, find those waters, drop an anchor, follow the Lord. And chapter 4 is, if you keep your hands to your side and in your pride and ignorance continue to follow the ways of the enemy, this is the reality of life. Even though we don't like the sound and tone of this chapter, it's still truth. Sin and lostness and brokenness begins and ends in the same space and that is dark. Lostness will end in hell and unrepentant sin ends in devastation. And not only that, it often applies to the people who live around us. As we close here, for my folks, I want you to see it, you don't have to flip in your Bibles. In Psalms, and this is where we are, this is where we are in Wednesday night and I want to encourage you guys, we have so many visitors coming now and so many people, it's hard to get to know some of you, and it's hard to to know who you are and talk with you and stuff of that nature. I would love to get to know you. Our Wednesday night is phenomenal. It's 6.30 to 7.30. We're in the book of Psalms. We're unpacking it like we do here on Sunday morning. I really encourage you to come. It's easier to get to know people on Wednesday night. But we're in Psalms, and one thing that I was telling our our congregation on Wednesday night was really neat. In that temple is where the book of Psalms was created and why it was created for. King David wrote, along with Moses and Solomon and other unknown authors, wrote this hymn book for the people to sing in the temple that we just read about. And so David says this. You shall break them, talking about the sinful, talking about the people of lamentations. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. More bad news. More reality of what sin does to your life. But this is how he ends, and this is our call to repentance this morning. So follow me. However, now there, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice in trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry. And you perish in the way. With His wrath be kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. Sin will devastate. Sin will destroy. God calls you to light. God calls us to salvation. God calls us to greater living. God calls us to freedom in repentance. We see this pattern from Genesis to Revelation. Repent of your sins and believe and put your faith and trust in the Lord. And freedom is poured onto you and oftentimes the people around you. As we pray here and we get ready for our baptism, we're going to thank God for what he's doing at our church. But I want to encourage you. God has better for you. God has better for you than your addictions. God has better for you than your broken relationship. God has better for you than your sin. Find this altar. Close your eyes. Pray for your seat. God, hear me. Save me, forgive me, lead me to your hands. My hands are up, lift me out of the pit of Lamentations 4. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for today. Lord, thank you for the truth that needs to be spoken in Lamentations 4. Lamentations 4 is the story of what happens after the planes hit the building. We live in a culture where we don't want this message, we don't need this message, and we would like to think that this is not a message that will ever apply to us. Sin leads to devastation. Sin leads to darkness. When we put things ahead of God, when we don't prioritize your word, when we are not close to you, when we don't lead our families, that will not end well for us. We will be like those people in New York who are wandering around thinking, what has happened? What has happened to my family and my marriage and my mind and my children? Like, what has happened? Church, hear the words of your pastor's prayer. Repent. Turn from those ways. Understand in what was accomplished on the cross for your freedom. That God sent his son for one reason only, and that was to rescue sinners. To die on a cross and to raise three days later so that we would have assurance in what was accomplished for us that we understand that the lamb was already taken, that we can stop the knife from coming down and we can live in freedom. We have been picked up from the pit. That is our new life. We are born again and we live in celebration. If there is someone here that does not know you, or they do, but they are living in disobedience, Lord, I pray that you put the weight of humility on their shoulders, that they see that they are only leading themselves and others to destruction. Lord, I pray you put that on them strongly. And in correction and conviction, they run to repentance and live in celebration. In your precious and your holy name, the church says loudly in harmony Amen.